0: Welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. This week, we're continuing our candidate conversation series for Utah's Republican Gubernatorial Convention that's coming up on April 25th. We're extending invitations to all the candidates for governor and their running mates for lieutenant governor to be on our podcast and hopefully discuss their policy positions and why they think they're the best choice to lead the state's government. Joining us this week are Republicans Jan Garbett. She's a Utah businesswoman and our running mate, Dr. Joseph Jarvis. He's the founder of the Utah Health Policy Project. Thank you for joining us. Thanks
1: You're for welcome. Us. It's good to be here, Jason and Amy. Thank so, you. So, uh,
0: Jan, uh, could you kind of start out, and, and I would have you, Dr. Jarvis, kind of follow up. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what uh, what was the impetus for you deciding to want to run for governor?
1: Well, I have actually um, been thinking of running for office for quite some time. I had to pull out of a congressional race a couple of years ago because we lost our human resource director um, unexpectedly in Garbett Homes. So I needed to pull back and do that. And I was preparing again for a congressional race when I heard that all of the gubernatorial candidates were fully aligned with Donald Trump. And I thought, that is not a choice. How... Utah deserves to have a choice for a governor. Uh, You know, while Donald Trump may be our president, he doesn't have to be president of Utah, too.
2: And I was uh, deciding to run uh, for Congress this year because I felt so strongly that President Trump did not represent the values that have made us a prosperous nation. He doesn't display the values that I've known in the Republican Party my whole life, like integrity and equity, justice and the rule of law. These are all things that are the antithesis to who he was. And I want to tell my grandchildren a different story. So I got into a congressional race and uh, eventually met Jan. And when she invited me to join her campaign, I couldn't have been happier to say yes.
3: So, Jan, would you tell me a little bit about you personally, uh, you know, your your background in business and also your family life? Sure
1: my husband and I um, started our business just shortly after we were married over 40 years ago and we we were actually came from different backgrounds I was in English and he was in history and we found ourselves in home building and construction and we have taken that business um, this family business through four decades and through recessions and it's just been a Fabulous journey. We've learned, um, in fact, in the last recession, two thousand eight, what we could do even better, and we saw opportunities for being um, energy efficient home builders. So, my husband and I have done that for years, and we've just also been involved and concerned about our community at the same time. So, as we built homes that, because we really care about air quality, and about sustainable in environments, um, you know, we, we know that things can be done to to make our world better. And so, yeah, you know, your heart goes out to your community, and you think, we, we could be doing things better in this state, too, mm-hmm. and in
3: our government. So I was excited to take on this challenge. Um, and so what led you to ask Joe to join you? And then, Joe, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of personal background on yourself. Okay. Well,
1: Joe had actually, actually
3: reached out to
1: me because he wanted to ask me about my experience in running for Congress before. And when I met with him and he, I, I found out about his qualifications and his lifelong um, career and expertise in health care, I was, I was really excited. I ordered a book that he had written and I, I learned from him some of his policies and his thoughts about health care reform which is a big issue in my mind that needs to be solved. And it just has been neglected. And I just think the American people are being led down these rosy paths that are definitely not rosy. And we just don't know what to do about this. And so when I met Joe and learned about that, I was so intrigued that a doctor would actually talk about reform and talk about some of the things in his own field that aren't being done well. And then when the COVID um, crisis hit us, you know, it just made sense. Wouldn't it be fabulous to have expertise in a, in a governor and Lieutenant governor combination that could handle this crisis could help us understand how to get out of this crisis because It is going to take us a long time to get out of this crisis, but also prepare us for the next time. And when I asked, you know, I I thought, wow, this would be so powerful to have somebody with expertise, um, not just politicians calling the shots. I was thrilled to invite Joe to actually be my lieutenant governor mate.
2: Uh, an interesting parallel between Jan and myself. I too was an English major in college <laughs> and met and married a history major. <laughs> we, did, we did not end up building homes. Uh, my wife is an attorney. She started law school a week after our marriage, and I was two years behind her. Uh, we're, we're the same age, but I had served in LDS Mission and undergraduate so two years behind the floor and was a where our degree, Actually, Joe, reading. Joe, you're, yes. you're
3: we're losing you just a little bit. Will you restate uh, what you told me? when you were talking about your wife becoming an attorney?
2: Yes, my I met, met and married a history major, Net, who started her study at law school a, a week after we got married. I had two years remaining on my undergraduate degree, so she was nearly finished uh, with law school before I started medical training at the University of Utah. Uh, And I stayed here in Salt Lake City to complete not only that medical training, but also residencies in family practice, in occupational and environmental health, and in public health. My career has been principally in public health, both as a state and federal health officer, and also as a private consultant to businesses and government from Guam to New York on public health issues, especially outbreak control.
0: So, you know, I wanted to ask you one quick question. We've got just about a minute to go. But uh, Dr. Jarvis, you know, as, as this kind of happened, and Jan kind of mentioned that it, it seems as though someone with your expertise is the kind of voice uh, that, that could be very useful in situations like this though we hope it doesn't have to happen you know uh, more often certainly uh, just being able to know that you have this kind of uh, background would be very helpful
2: well i i am gratified that i can be of assistance not just to jan but a lot of people have started reaching out and asking for advice and counsel and that's great i agree with you i wish it didn't take a pandemic for people to look to public health we in public health have been protecting, we've been the thin blue line protecting the public against disease and premature death for over a century. Uh, it's one of the most successful enterprises in the history of, of science. Uh, I'm glad that people are finally recognizing how important this is. Let's use it from now on in a much more pro- prospective way and not wait for the terribleness of a pandemic.
0: Absolutely. When we come back, we'll continue and ask them about more of their policy issues and what's important to them And as they're running uh, for governor and lieutenant governor. You're listening to Voices of Reason. back with the loudmouth projects voices of reason i'm jason lee along with amy donaldson this week continuing our candidate conversation series for utah's republican gubernatorial convention that's coming up later this month today we're speaking with republicans jan Garbett, a utah businesswoman and her running mate dr joseph jarvis who's the founder of the utah health policy project and has had a career uh in public health uh, as a physician you know uh now that we're kind of into this and and we are in the midst of uh in my first, in my, uh, 54 years of lifetime, uh, my first pandemic that I can recall, um, wh- how, do, how can the expertise that you, uh, Jan, and uh, Dr. Jarvis have, how can you help us get through this part and then, you know, move on and try to figure out a way to help shape policy so that we can address issues similar to this in the future?
1: Well, let me start by saying I think that in – in any, any situation, and especially in an emergency situation, it's going to take leadership, and it's going to take expertise. And the government, um, I think, has created so much red tape over years and years of um, protecting themselves, and for various reasons, that we've, we've realized when we aren't adequately funded, when we don't have expertise on board, we're, we're going to stumble around. And on this COVID-19, when every minute of every day counts, because more and more of the epidemic spreads by people not knowing they have it, it's critical that you be able to just jump into leadership and into the best proaction possible. At the first of last month, I called a press conference right here in our backyard with a local business that was producing tests for COVID-19 and sending them around the world. And I thought, wow, here in Utah, they could they could actually deliver these tests to us. We could get going on this immediately. I had I reached out to the legislators. I reached out to the lieutenant governor, the governor, I reached out to the state department of health. Silence. Channel 4 came and other news stations came and they covered this. And I've actually had more coverage on trying to promote this business here in Utah, outside of Utah, than within Utah. We're just barely starting to access what we have in our own backyard. And to me, that is the absolute epitome of why we need leadership in the governor's office for such a time as this. I didn't even have Joe on board as a lieutenant governor at that time, but I quickly put that together, and soon I asked him to be my running companion, and I just thought, I just kept getting tutored um, by Dr. Jarvis's, understanding of what needed to happen in an epidemic. And what I intuitively felt back then is that we needed testing is what we still need today. And maybe I should just turn the time over right now to Dr. Jarvis to explain that.
2: Yeah, so Jan's correct. Uh, A test provides the information for both the individual and the public health sector to make good decisions about who needs to be specifically isolated. Uh, and or quarantined, and for how long. Uh, Because we've been flying blind with so few tests that we couldn't even adequately deal with the people who are symptomatic, uh, we've been at a loss. We've had to do much broader sorts of social isolation recommendations. And I would argue that uh, Utah, along with many of the other states, because we haven't had federal leadership, uh, have faltered. We have been a day late and a dollar short trying to deal with what clearly was an international phenomenon as early as the middle of February. By then, there were more cases outside China than inside, and every governor across the United States should have known it was about to hit them in their own hometowns. And they should have been on top of it. And doing things like what Jan just suggested, which was find the local um, abilities to do the testing, And beef up the public health workforce so you could do the contact tracing. That's standard public health practice. Mm -hmm. The failure to do that is going to cost us tens of thousands of lives and trillions of dollars.
3: Did you? It's upended though the the campaign process. I mean, what? And Jan, you've been pretty outspoken about um, what the governor and lieutenant governor, uh, really the government of Utah, should offer candidates. Sort of, what's your what's your idea on changing the campaign process during this? COVID outbreak? Well,
1: Amy, if you look around the rest of the country, people realize that wow, this is a, a terrible thing and it isn't fair to anybody. We entered I entered the campaign in plenty of time to get my signatures. And and Dr. Jarvis has been working with me since he entered the campaign too. And we were on track. In fact, we had more signatures than John Huntsman. And we would have been able to get all of the signatures required to get us on the ballot. But when this COVID hit and they started shutting down cities, um, we just, we couldn't do it. The public's health was more important. Our signature gatherer's health was more important. And, you know, it's just been terribly disappointing that um, our our governor refuses to um create allowances to let us to get on the ballot. As other states have done, they've either um, changed deadlines or they've um, lowered thresholds. Utah is unique in the whole United States for the incredible amount of signatures that they demand to get on the ballot. It's, it's, it's really, um, I think, uh, very telling, of how the incumbents in office have tried to create codes and rules and regulations to keep power in their hands. And, you know, and now we're, we're reaping the, you know, the, the disasters of, of trying to promote democracy in, in a crisis.
0: Cause Let that put both out, of you. Oh, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, yeah. uh, Joe.
2: Let me point out that it's not just the signature gathering process that has been made impossible, but also the other pathway to nomination in Utah, which is through the caucus convention system, that's also impossible this year. The, the way it should work is that on caucus night in late March, candidates could persuade possible delegates to run in their caucuses and to try to represent them and in their interest in the coming convention, and there haven't been caucuses, so no one could do that, so 2018 delegates are going to be sent to a virtual convention where candidates can't interact with them, and they haven't been able to be allowed to persuade people to send delegates that would vote for them. So the delegate process is also wrong and unable to be performed. Both pathways to nomination have been spoiled by the COVID-19 outbreak.
0: This is kind of an unfortunate circumstance, particularly since democracy is about having the the fairest chance you have uh, to present it to run for office or to represent the people that uh, are in your communities. And it's it's too bad that somehow this has turned against that particular part of the process, which we all believe is kind of the essence of what uh, our democracy is.
2: Free and fair elections are one of the basic services that a state government should guarantee. Absolutely. And they're failing in Utah.
0: When we come back, we will continue and ask a bit about more. Maybe we'll uh, broach uh, education this time. We're having our candid conversation with Republicans Jan Garbett and her running mate, Dr. Joseph Jarvis. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. This week we're speaking with Republicans Jan Garbett and her running mate, Dr. Joseph Jarvis. They are running for uh, governor and lieutenant governor. Uh, the state Republican convention is coming up later this month, and hopefully they'll be able to make it through that convention and possibly get to the primary. Uh, we have been talking about a lot of different things, uh, a lot of COVID, and we learned a little bit about your background, but I was hoping you could uh, kind of elaborate on what uh, this particular COVID outbreak has, what light or, or, or what have you seen now that it uh, expands on our uh, healthcare system and the way healthcare is uh, approached in uh, Utah? Um,
1: one, one of the pillars of my campaign is clean air. And, and that is actually just kind of a term for healthcare. Because of the bad air that we, believe, that we breathe on the Wasatch Front, we are all more susceptible once we get that COVID virus to really having um, less capacity to fight it. And I think that the, our failure to understand the significance of putting money into a healthcare system and how widespread that is, even the air we breathe and the things that we have allowed to be in our community ha- are putting us at risk. And I'd like Joe to tell a little bit more about that. And then even about how we could reform a healthcare system in the United States. I love Joe's thoughts about the money that we're putting into our healthcare system mm-hmm. could actually, if it were spent right, we could all be covered.
2: Yeah. So uh, we, what is- absolutely being revealed in the United States by the pandemic is the total inability of our financing system to adequately care for patients. Some people have said that private insurance is like having an umbrella that melts in the rain. And that's because people who think that they're covered with private health insurance in the United States actually discover when they're sick that they can't afford the care that they need because of the point of service payments that are required. Not, not just the premiums, but the co-payments and the uh, co-insurance, et cetera, that are required. And then, of course, there are people who don't have any insurance at all. And in the face of the economic downturn caused by the pandemic, people are losing their jobs. And with it, whatever semblance of health insurance that they have. The irony of all this is we pay more for health care in the United States than, than do the citizens of any other nation. By far, a doubling actually of healthcare costs on a per person basis here versus the average person in the first world. And in addition, we pay for that publicly. Our taxes are higher for healthcare in the United States than is true anywhere else in the world. We pay well over two trillion dollars in aggregate total for health care in taxation, which is plenty of money to cover everyone for high quality services. The reason why we fail to do that is because our the financing system actually emphasizes an inefficiency of uh, private insurance, and we waste $600 billion a year with the uh, inefficiencies of how they handle claims, uh, mostly through denial as much as they can possibly get away with. And because we're not focused on patient care, we have poor quality care in the United States relative to the rest of the first world. And that costs us another 500 to 700 trillion dollars a year in wasted effort because poor quality care actually costs more. Mm-hmm. High quality care is the most efficient and cheapest way to care for people. That's what we're seeing mm-hmm. with the COVID-19 outbreak. Dr. Jar- want- yes, sorry, I'm
3: t- sorry to interrupt you. I just, what can you and Jan do if you guys are elected governor and lieutenant governor? Can you have an impact on that system?
2: State-based reform is the right way to go about it. Uh, It's what is anticipated by the Constitution of the United States, the Tenth Amendment specifically. And states have traditionally been the home of health policy. Mm -hmm. It's been turned around, and the federal government is increasingly uh, on the forefront of that, largely because states have allowed that to happen. But if Congress were simply to act and say, we'll get the federal government out of the way and allow a state that wants to do the right thing for its patients a pathway forward. And that bill has already been written. It's uh, the the state-based universal health care act. If we could pass that, then yes, absolutely. Jan and I know how to figure this out and propose something for Utah that will cover everyone at a lower cost than is today without having to raise taxes.
3: What are your thoughts on education? During this outbreak, we've seen everybody go to distance learning and it's been uh, unsuccessful, wildly unsuccessful in some places and, um, you know, an, an innovation in other places. What are your thoughts on education, Jen? Well, that is one of the pillars of my platform. I'm
1: a firm believer in education. In fact, in, for two decades, my family and I have been working down in Mexico um, with indigenous communities, taking education to um, junior high kids to help them get to high school. And we've been able to work with communities and see how this can get done. So I am just so excited to bring the same passion of better educational opportunities here in Utah. We have such a wonderful um, community and such a firm belief in education, too. It's just pitiful that we have not been funding our education system and it's starting to show and it's starting to hurt during a downturn like this you will actually probably see more people and you know so i'm going to talk a little bit about higher education right now go back to college maybe go back and finish a degree that they stopped at one time or their job now is is not being able to supply them their you know their pay so they decided go get a different job and they need some skilling and reskilling so i think there will be a lot of opportunities for an influx into higher education and trades work and i'm excited to see that because i know personally in home construction we are in desperate need of electricians of plumbers these skills that would pay really good money up front. And and people can learn this relatively quickly. So I think there are a lot of opportunities on the horizon for education. And I hope that, you know, with the legislature just recently improving the WPU up to 6%, that when they get back into session, that they don't cut that. In fact, I hope that they will retract their efforts to change the constitutional earmark right now that has protected education through previous recessions. We need to pay our teachers. We need to pay them fairly. We need to attract quality teachers. Our children, we can't do less for them.
0: You know, when we come back, we'll uh, have to ask you some of the, our, our lightning round questions, but I wanted to get a, a little a feel for a bit of more of the the people that we're talking about, because obviously you have policies and you want to implement leadership, but it would be nice to know who who it is we we would be electing uh, for our state's highest office. We're having our candidate conversation with Republicans Jan Garbett and Dr. Joseph Jarvis, who are running for governor and lieutenant governor, respectively, and you're listening to Voices of Reason. back to Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're having a candidate conversation with uh, Republican Jan Garbett, who's a Utah businesswoman, and her running mate, Dr. Joseph Jarvis. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about something you spoke of uh, when we first uh, introduced you. You mentioned that the reason you, uh, Jan, the reason you decided to run is because uh, you and Dr. Jarvis, for that matter, were kind of in conflict with the way uh, President Trump has uh, led the country. And you know, in our state, where he is pretty well supported uh, among uh, conservatives, how do you feel like that will play uh, in trying to achieve our state's highest office?
1: Um, let me tell you just a little bit about my platform. It's a, a three-point pillar: breathe, read, and believe. And as I mentioned before, this is why I decided to run. I I think that we have the right and the responsibility as a as people to speak truth, and I don't think that Donald Trump does that. Whether we want it to be true or not, I mean, there are facts, there is science, and he does not tell the truth. About seven years ago, I founded an organization for youth called EPIC, Deliberate Digital. We focus, one thing that we focus on besides technology and using that for the best use possible is fake news, and we try to teach youth, you know, how to discern between propaganda and what's real. And, you know, I really didn't found found that organization just for youth. I think adults need this in a huge dose ourselves. I don't have much tolerance for misconceptions, for, um, you know, just trying to um, pull the wool over my eyes. And when I have... When all of the gubernatorial candidates got up and praised Donald Trump um, for his amazing leadership, I just thought, why aren't they telling us about his lies and about the things that have harmed our country? You know, I we we need truth. And I expect that from the kids in my house. I expect it from the people that are running the, the country, too. So... And Dr. Jarvis, I know you feel strongly about this too.
2: Yeah, I, I think the COVID outbreak is a perfect example of his lack of leadership. Uh, first of all, in the background in 2018, he gutted from the National Security Council the very expertise that would have put him in touch with the reality of, an, of a forthcoming outbreak in China. And he underfunded uh, the Centers for Disease Control, their particular division for global health security, so that we didn't have boots on the ground around the world uh, in touch with what was happening and therefore providing us with the earliest warnings. But in addition to that, once it became known in December that there was a new virus, that it was a respiratory virus, highly contagious and very aggressive clinically, uh, what did he do? He started downplaying it. He started playing games with us. He started his usual... Uh, sort of shucking and jiving in front of the public and not really bringing the the nation's uh, m- might and power to grip with this new problem. In fact, I don't think the United States has yet brought its full resources uh, into the battle, into the fray against the virus. We went two months, January and February, without any federal leadership leading to no testing, virtually no testing, and no on-the-ground on the communicable disease control, which is long known hundreds, 100 years of known science about how to deal with a problem like this. That directly is Donald Trump's fault. And that is something that we should never tolerate.
3: So let me ask you guys, I, I always love to know if there are, are challenges or adversities that you've had in your lives that have led you down a path you didn't expect or that shaped you in some way. Um, Jan, do you want to uh, go first on that?
1: Well, um, I wouldn't really call this an adversity, but I have eight children, and (laughs) I'll tell you that I have learned a lot from my eight children. I I probably have everybody in in a range from socialists to um, (laughs) conservatives to environmentalists, and you know what? We get along, and, and we expect the best out of each other, and we know how to work together, and... You know, sometimes it really frustrates me when I hear other people commenting on, oh, you know, that person is so fabulous. Just look at how their family turned out. And I just thought, you know what? They're all individuals. It's how how do we turn out as people? How do we get along with each other when when we have that right and that responsibility to think for ourselves and to pursue a journey that that helps us get along with our fellow man, you know, what, what are we doing? And so I guess, you know, that I think has been my one of my greatest mentors and tutors is
3: being a mother. What about you, Dr. Jarvis?
2: Well, the, the uh, adversity that I would say is a secondhand experience, (laughs) watching my wife go Mm -hmm. through a long and very successful career as a corporate bankruptcy attorney. She has an international reputation and she's done fabulously well, but has had to change law firms on a number of occasions largely because of the internal struggle against a bias against women succeeding. Uh, One of the things that attracts me to Jan and to work with her is what a strong feminine voice she is and I have learned to appreciate my wife's strong, feminine voice and how she stood up to this adversity. Uh, and it's time for us to change that. I think history could be made, electing Jan to be the first elected woman governor and who better to serve us than a, a mother of eight and grandmother. Uh, someone who has that kind of life experience is gonna make a huge
0: difference. So the, so the, the... You know, I, um, I, I think that you mentioned how life experience is so important in trying to help uh, develop us as individuals. Uh, Do do you feel like there's any one thing in your life uh, that has, that you recall to say to yourself, this has helped me, uh, you know, in times of maybe as I mentally maybe struggle with something, I go back to this and always know that this is kind of my center and, and keeps me moving forward.
1: So I think um, one thing that um, for us as a, as a business was really, changing and fundamental was when we went through the recession. I kind of mentioned this before, but up until that time, we'd been building homes just like everybody else. And we tried to build an affordable product that was good. And, but it, it made us look at um, when other builders around us were dropping like flies, people whose whole lives have been dedicated and been in the building business, were going bankrupt, could not, go on any longer with their business. I I felt we were so grateful that we were able to steer through that recession without firing anybody. We kept our employees. And in fact, with our employees, we figured out what service can we do that maybe an existing home can't offer somebody on the market. And we realized that we could build a tighter envelope. We could actually build a home that didn't pollute as much as an an existing home. Um, And the the ways that, you know, you can do that with new construction are really phenomenal. It's, you know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, they don't build houses like they used to. And I'll (laughs) say, and it's a good thing. We build them so much better than they used to. Homes are the number two polluters after automobiles. And you probably didn't realize that. But Garbett Homes, of their own volition, have been building these homes now for years, for over a decade. There is no reason why other builders can't build like we do. But our legislature, our governor's office, have refused to um, enact legislation that will protect us all and will actually help us all um, do better. And I, I just think it's time for a different attitude up in our legislative halls. And that, w- that is one thing that um, really inspires me.
3: Dr. Jarvis, um, do you want to answer that question? And then afterwards, I'd love it if you guys would just give us that one final call to action to voters. Why should they vote for you? Why should they support your campaign?
2: One of my foundational experiences is the uh, opportunity I had to serve patients as an intern and a resident early in my career, getting some of my final training. I remember being at Primary Children's Hospital, not the new one, the old one up in the avenues, during a long winter when there were respiratory viruses raging through the community and our intensive care unit was chock full of little kids who were struggling to breathe. Uh, I'd be up uh, 36 hours in a row trying to meet those needs uh, and help those families. That was a, a, ch- a life-changing experience. It has caused me to always that the reason we do health care is to help people. It's not for any other reason.
3: Thanks. And so why should voters support you guys and what call to action would you offer? Well, I... I hope that as you've
1: heard Dr. Jarvis talk about health care and, and present some possibilities that, you know, there really are some solutions. And it's even without raising taxes. It's just better spending of your tax dollar. And I know that there are things that can be done in the home building industry, which we are so desperately in need of, that can be done practically for pennies or free. And you know, I just hope you can see that maybe there's some ideas out here besides the the good old boys club that have been running this show for so long. Maybe there's some fresh ideas. Literally, we would be coming out of this COVID isolation now if the state had listened to me over a month ago. I I I really believe that. And you know, I just, I think, you know, you have an opportunity, Utah, to make a choice, but you've got You got to take more proaction yourselves right now. You've got to go to peopleforjan.com and click on sign my petition to get Dr. Jarvis and myself on that ballot so that there is a choice and there's a good choice on the horizon. I'm excited for all of the good that we can do, but I need your help to do it.
2: Listen, Call the uh, governor and tell him to make elections free and fair this year in Utah. Yeah. Fair enough, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Listen, I want to thank you both for joining us. Uh, it has been great talking to you, and best of luck with you on your campaign. Thank Thanks. you. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at VORMED at gmail.com or at VORJasonL at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ADONSports and at Jason Lee One. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. Check out our Facebook page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.